Have you ever found yourself guilty of something before God that causes you to wonder whether God can forgive you or not? Perhaps one of the lowest points of your life. Do you come to church sometime and just think, I don't know if I can take communion today. I mean, the way I've been living my life, if I took the bread and drank the cup, I'd be sinning against the body and blood of Jesus. I I know of people who obey the gospel and then at some point in their life get so far away from God, at least in their mind, that they'll go through life never taking communion again. I've known of people who have done that. Perhaps you are doing that. We've been looking at a series called Move. We've been looking at the life of David, and, and David has now moved. Boy, you're talking about an appropriate word. It is an appropriate word for David. He's moved as far away from God as he had ever been. And yet God had not moved away from David. If you hear nothing else today, we may move, God doesn't. We've been looking at David's life and all kinds of stories. And man, here was a guy who God took as a young man because there was something about David's heart. David loved God even from a child, and he loved God with all of his heart. You go over to Deuteronomy uh, chapter 5 and 6 where you have Moses repeating the law, and he says, by the way, it begins with loving God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind. And David had evidently done that. God had lifted him up. He'd become king of Israel. He'd captured Jerusalem. He had built a palace there. I mean, he would eventually bring the tabernacle into the city. I mean, David was at the zenith of his popularity and power in the world. And Satan brought him down. Stan was talking about creating me a clean heart, O God, and talking about all those points we find in our life. David found himself at one of those points of where he's at his palace, his army's out fighting, he looks out, he sees a beautiful young woman bathing named Bathsheba, and it goes downhill from there. Nathan eventually goes to him because, as the text says in 2 Samuel 11, the thing David had done displeased the Lord. We talked about that last week. We'll look at that again briefly this morning. And so Nathan is sent to him nine months after his sin. Uh, You know, you think, why did God wait so long? Sometimes God has to wait for our hearts to get soft enough. Sometimes God has to wait for us to hit bottom enough. And so God had waited until it was just the right time. And he sent Nathan, and Nathan told him a little short parable. David became enraged, and Nathan's response to David was, You're that man. David's response was, I've sinned against the Lord. God knew he was ready. And and of course, David's problem was that his sin was a sin punishable by stoning. Not just one, multiple sins. 
And here's the king. And how in the world is the king executed when he's the king, even though that's what the law of Moses says? So David's stuck. And of course, Nathan's words to David is, you shall not die. But I don't know if you've ever thought about it. Your little innocent baby will die instead. Isn't that odd? That someone perfect, innocent, would die for the sins of someone else. Does that sound familiar to y'all? I mean, isn't that what we just did? I mean, have you ever thought about the fact that in the death of David and Bathsheba's child was a preview of the son of David dying for the sins of you and me? I think we miss that sometimes. I don't know if David understood it at the time. But sometime after that, he he writes a song. We call it Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is one of seven what we call penitential psalms. Psalms that talk about, God, I'm messed up. God, I don't know where to turn. God, I feel like sin has just kind of taken me under. Where do I go from here? And in Psalm 51, you get this beautiful picture of how God rescued David. Again, there are scholars who would argue with what is written here in the opening comments. Uh, You pick up a commentary on the Psalms, and they'll say, well, David really didn't write this. It was written much later. Maybe about David, but not by David. I I don't believe that. I, I believe that scholars continue to underestimate both the work of the Spirit, as well as simply the work of archaeology. But David sets down and he writes this incredible psalm, and I I want us just to walk through it this morning. He begins by realizing where he is right now, there is no way out except by God. Notice the very first phrase, Have mercy on me, O God. A word in the Hebrew that literally means God's unmerited favor, very similar to the word for grace in the New Testament. And then he turns to the second characteristic about God, according to your unfailing love. Stan, a while back, used this Hebrew word kesed, and and it's a word that cannot be translated into English. I mean, if you look over here on the left, on the screen, you'll see all the different ways you can translate this word. I mean, it is just all over the place because it describes the very essence of who God is. Can you really use one word to describe it? The Hebrew people could. We can't. But David knows that that is what God has toward him and what he had had at least to some degree toward God for Uh, at least 45 years of his life. So David begins to pray. And he prays the same thing that I hope you have prayed. I know I have prayed it. And he prays it in a fascinating way, just literally one right after the other. He begins by saying, would you blot out my transgression, God? Would you take that book that is recorded there in heaven with our sins in it, and would you take some white out, and would you just kind of get rid of that? Would you do that, God? Would you blot out my sins? And I don't know how many bottles it would take to get rid of mine, but I'm sure it was a lot and is a lot. Would you blot out my sins? He says, would you wash me of my impurities? 
And I love that word wash there. It's literally the word that was used to describe a woman who would take the clothes out to a river somewhere and take a rock and bang on it to get, you know, them clean. And I don't know about you, but I feel like sometimes there's been a rock used on me to try to get me clean. And then, of course, and cleanse me, purify me. Picture is of metal that's got impurity in it that you heat it up to get the impurities to rise so that you can scoop them off. God, would you do that to me? Because that's what he had just done to David. He'd put him in the midst of the fire in hope, and, in hope that he could purify him. And then watch what David says. I know my transgressions. My sins are always before me. I don't know if you've ever done that, just to sit down and reflect on your life. Especially the bad part of it. I still remember sins I committed as a, as a kid. I still remember as a teenager. I still remember a lot of the guilt. I mean, the struggles that we all go through as we go through life. And man... We, we know they're there. We, in fact, we, we have a word for them. We call them the skeletons that's in the closet. And I don't know about you, but I'm glad mine are in a closet. David's was out in open for everybody to see. And so he says, God, I, I know my failures. And I know you know them. I'm like Tim. Tim, I don't know how many times on Sundays I'm sitting there thinking about where I fell short the week before. And so grateful that the blood of Jesus is still there working. I mean, such a beautiful image. And then he says this, Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And you look at that and you go, wait a minute, David, it wasn't just against you. But if you know, you go back to when Nathan approached him, that's exactly what he said. When Nathan said, you're the man, he said, I have sinned against the Lord. What about Uriah? What about Uriah's family? What about Bathsheba? What about her family? What about Israel? David realized something important. And that is, I can apologize to everybody else I've sinned against, but if I don't start with God, it's for nothing. God is the primary one I've sinned against. And it's God that I've got to go to before I can even begin to think about cleaning up in the lives of other people. He goes on in the text and he says, So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge it's fascinating where he goes now. David is trying to figure out, how in the world did I go from a man after God's own heart to being an adulterer, a liar, a person who got someone drunk, a murderer? I mean, the list just goes on and on. In fact, if you take the Ten Commandments and line them up, all ten of the commandments, and then put David's name beside them, you'll find that in David's sin with Bathsheba, he actually violated all ten of them. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. You, you think, wait, wait a minute, I, I know he committed murder, I know he committed adultery, I, I know he stole another man's wife, I, I, I know he bore false witness when he brought Uriah in, I know for a fact that he coveted but really, he didn't keep the Sabbath holy? Do you think he did? Do you think those nine months when he thought he had covered up everything, you think he was focused on God and that his Sabbaths were holy? Do you think his sin dishonored 
his parents and their memory and name, especially if they were still alive. I don't know. I doubt they were, but they may have been. And I mean, did he hold the name of God in honor? I mean, he violated them all. As I suspect I have as well. And so watch what he does. He uses a, a hyperbole in the text. And, and if you've got your text open, I wish you would go and right in beside this verse. Hyperbole. An obvious and intentional exaggeration. An extravagant statement or figure of speech not intended to be taken literally. What he says next, so many people have taken, blown it up into an entire doctrine that so undermines who we are as people created in the image of God. Here's what he says. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. It's where the doctrine of original sin comes from. That we're all born as sinners. Which, by the way, is one of the reasons that infant baptism took hold. You see, if a baby is born in sin, and that baby dies as a baby without being quote-unquote baptized, they'll die in their sins, they'll be lost, so you better baptize the infants. And what people don't realize is that David is not teaching original sin. What he's trying to do is figure out how in the world did he go from being this person to this person over here, and his only explanation is, surely sin took root before I was ever even born. By the way, have you ever noticed that people use Psalm 51.5 to teach original sin, but they don't use Psalm 51.6? You ever notice that? Look at Psalm 51.6. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. Were y'all faithful in the womb? If I was, I don't remember it. Right? In fact, look at the next phrase. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Now, I, I do understand that God wrote upon the hearts some of his laws. I get that. But that's not what David is saying here. David is saying, listen, God, I know it's a battle between you and sin. And it began in the womb. And it's continued to this day. And so at this point, he says, God, will you show me how to repent? And will you restore me to where you want me to be? And what follows are some of the most beautiful passages in all of the Old Testament. He begins with these words, cleanse me with hyssop. Hyssop was a plant that the priest used all the time. And so he's saying, God, would you ceremonially cleanse me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. I can imagine David over the last winter, and by the way, this is a picture of Jerusalem a few years ago. Jerusalem gets snow. I think a lot of times we think of it being a more, you know, kind of uh, uh, milder climate than what we have. Actually, Jerusalem is very much like Nashville. And they get snow from time to time. And David had seen it snow in Jerusalem. And he said, God, would you make me as white as the snow? Would you let me hear joy and gladness? Let the bones you've crushed rejoice. And you have to appreciate this. Murray, I think about you. You know, if I want to hurt you, the way I hurt you is take away your ability to praise God. You come from a family of people who, I mean, their focus in the kingdom was about praising God, your dad, your granddad. David was the same way. Here's a guy who had lived his whole life from a teenager, writing, singing, praising God. And guess what? He's not done it now for months and months and months. Or if he did, they were just words. 
words and nothing else. And so he says, God, would you hide your face from my sin? I love the way he's going to play off that word face here. He's going to use it actually twice in the text here. Once we don't translate it that way. But it's the idea of God, would you, would you hide your face from my sins and once again blot out my iniquity? And then I love this one. The song we just sang a few moments ago. Genesis 1-1 begins, in the beginning God, bara, God created. A Hebrew word that is only used of God. Bara is one of those words that when you find it, he's talking about God. And David knows that the only way to move back to where I was before was for God to act. I can't do it. You can't do it. We can't fix our sin. But God can. So he pleads with God, create, start the process all over and create in me a pure heart. And boy, then I love this one. And renew a steadfast spirit. I mean, of all the things David looks at his life as God worked and God worked and God worked and God worked and then all at once David fell. And he's saying, God, any way you can get that back. That steadfastness that I had with you. And then he comes back remembering his predecessor Saul. Don't cast me from... By the way, in the Hebrew, the word is your face. Hide your face from my sins, but please don't hide your face from me. And I don't know about you, but it's my prayer every day. God, somehow blot out the sins, but don't blot out me. And then he says something that he was so aware of, Please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. It's, it's fascinating that throughout all of this sin, God had not abandoned David. And the Holy Spirit had not left him. Now you say, how in the world does that work? How in the world does the Holy Spirit stay with someone who's committing adultery and murder and lying and you just fill out the list of sins? And the reality is the same way he stays with There are times that God looks at Les Chapman and shakes his head and the spirit is grieved. But he doesn't give up. And he didn't give up on David. The spirit had left Saul. David has seen it, and so he's pleading, please don't take your spirit. And you look at the sins. Saul had failed to kill the Amalekites. David had killed Uriah. And you think, wow, you would expect God to take his spirit away from here. But the hearts are different in the two. He says, restore to me the joy and grant to me the willing spirit. God, take me back to where I was before I ever looked out over that palace wall. Would you please restore that to me? And he said, if you will, I'll teach Israel. I'll teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back. And then one last time before he ends this beautiful psalm, he says, but God, please deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. David didn't kill just Uriah. David told Joab, he says, you put the men up front, you attack the city walls. And then when the fighting gets the fiercest, you order a withdrawal. And that's what Joab did. 
But you see, Uriah wasn't the only one who died that day. The messenger came and said, listen, we pressed hard. They, they began to shoot you know, arrows at us. We, we retreated, and in the retreat, several of the Israelite soldiers died. But among them was Uriah, and David's response, well, you know, you win some, you lose some, if I may paraphrase. But I can't help but think about David in the weeks and months that followed. This Israelite woman had become a widow because of David's sin. These Israelite children had become orphans because of David's sin. You see, David has shed more blood than just Uriah's. And it haunted him. And he said, God, please save me from that. There's where he said, more than Uriah. Uriah's among them, but others died because of David's sin. So God, you are a God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing. If you can just get me through this, I'll sing of your righteousness. I'll open my lips, Lord. My mouth will declare your praise because you don't delight in the sacrifice. I'd bring it. David had more goats, more sheep. He had more oxen. I mean, he could have sacrificed everything, but that's not what God wants. He wants a broken and contrite heart. And God, I know that's not something you'll despise. So may you prosper Zion, and then you'll delight in the sacrifices of the righteous and burnt offerings and whole offerings, bulls that will be offered. God, if you can just get me back to where I need to be, I'll praise you. And by the way, that's true of all of us. And so if you're here today and you desperately need a new heart, and the only way to do it is by letting God create it. If you're not a believer in Jesus, it begins with faith and baptism into Jesus Christ. If you are a believer, it simply means sometimes saying, God, I've sinned. Would you create in me a clean heart again and restore that steadfast spirit? If we can help you with any of that, won't you come right now as together we stand and sing?